0: Welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. The Roman historian Tacitus, in his Annals about the Great Fire, writes how the Emperor Nero blamed the Christians in Rome for the Great Fire and initiated the first known persecution of early Christians by the Romans. The passage reads, Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procreators, Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition thus checked for the moment again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Accordingly, an arrest was made of all who pleaded guilty then. Upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city as of hatred against mankind. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths, "...covered with skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt, to serve as nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Nero offered his gardens for the spectacle, and was exhibiting a show in the circus, while he mingled with the people in the dress of a charioteer, or stood aloft on a car. Hence... Even for criminals who deserved extreme and exemplary punishment, there arose a feeling of compassion, for it was not, as it seemed, for the public good, but to glut one man's cruelty that they were being destroyed. Now, when Jesus revealed to his disciples the fall of Jerusalem and the time of the end, he also foretold the experience of his people from the time of His ascension right up to the time of His return in all power and glory. The Savior saw the storms that were about to fall upon the early church and even deeper into the future. His eye discerned the fierceness that His followers were going to experience in the coming years of darkness and of persecution. In just a few brief statements, He laid out exactly what the rulers of this world would mete out to the church of God. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 9. Then you will be handed over to the persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all the nations because of me. These persecutions beginning under Nero continued for centuries. Christians were falsely accused of the most dreadful crimes and declared to be the cause of great calamities, famine, pestilence, and earthquake. And as they became the objects of popular hatred and superstition, paid informants stood ready to betray these innocent believers. They were condemned as rebels against the empire, as foes of religion and pests, to society in general. Great numbers were thrown to wild beasts or were burned alive. They're in the amphitheaters. Some were even crucified. Their punishment was often made the chief entertainment at public festivals. Huge crowds would gather to enjoy the sight of their dying agonies and would be greeted with laughter and with applause. Wherever they sought refuge... The followers of Christ were hunted like beasts of prey. Under the fiercest of conditions, they, these followers of Jesus, remained faithful to Him. and With words of faith and encouragement, they would support one another. The harshest conditions were not enough to cause them to deny their faith. They rejoiced they rejoiced that they had been found worthy to suffer for the truth. And songs of triumph ascended from the midst of those crackling flames. A voice came down to them from the throne of God. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Thousands were imprisoned and slain, but others, well they would spring up to fill their places. The sufferings which these early Christians endured brought them nearer to one another and nearer to their Redeemer. Their living example and their dying testimony was a constant witness for the truth many that had been persecuting as a result of these powerful testimonies, well, they began to enlist under the banner of Jesus Christ. Satan, therefore, decided he would change his strategy. Rather than attempting to destroy the church through external persecution, he decided he would destroy the faith from within. If the followers of Christ could be deceived and led to abandon truth, then their strength, their resolve, their firmness all would fail and then they would fall as easy prey. Persecution ended. Pagans were led to become part of the Christian faith. On the surface, it sounded like a good thing. But in reality, it was all part of Satan's plot to destroy the church. These pagans, they professed to accept Jesus as the Son of God and to believe in His death and His resurrection. But they had no conviction of sin and felt no need of repentance, no need of a change of heart. Since they made some concessions, Well, they proposed, well, that the Christians, they should also make some concessions that all might unite on the platform of belief in Jesus Christ. Well, the church now found itself in a very terrifying situation. Prison, torture, fire, and sword, well, they were blessings in comparison to this. Some of the Christians stood firm, declaring that they would not compromise. Others were in favor of yielding or modifying some features of their faith and uniting with those who had accepted a part of Christianity. It was a time of deep trouble and turmoil for all of the faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So under a cloak of impersonated Christianity, Satan was skillfully inserting himself into the church to corrupt the faith and to turn minds away from the word of truth. Well, most Christians consented to lower their standard and a union was formed now between Christianity and paganism. Although these pagans professed to be converted, well, they still clung to their idolatry. False doctrines and superstitious rites were incorporated into the faith. As the followers of Christ united with pagans, the Christian religion became corrupted and the church lost her purity and her power. There were some, however, who would not compromise. They maintained their loyalty to God and to His Word. You see, there have always been and always will be two classes of people amongst those who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself makes reference to this in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 7. lawlessness. You see, while one class strives to study the Savior's life and and seeks to correct their defects and conform to His word, the other side, their other class, they shun the plain practical truths of God's word which exposes their errors. So in the end, even though they have an appearance of Christianity, they are rejected by Jesus himself and he calls them lawless. You see, the church has never been composed entirely of the true, the pure, and the sincere. When Jesus connected his ministry to the ministry of men, He chose men who were faulty in character. But they were granted the benefits of his teaching and example, and they were given an opportunity to see their errors and to correct them. Among the twelve apostles was a traitor. Judas was accepted in spite of all of his defects of character. He was connected with the disciples that through the instruction, through the example of Jesus Christ, he might learn what constitutes a Christian character and thus be led to see his errors and to repent. Judas chose not to walk in the light so graciously permitted to shine upon him. By his indulgence in sin, he invited the temptation of Satan, His evil traits of character became predominant. He yielded his mind to the controls of the powers of darkness. He became angry when his faults were reproved. And thus, he was led to commit the crime of betraying his master. As persecution came upon the followers of Jesus, only those who were willing to forsake all for the sake of truth desired to become his disciples. So, as long as persecution continued, the church remained well, relatively pure. But as the persecution died down, converts were added to the church who were less sincere and less devoted, and so the way was open for Satan to get his foothold in the church. You see, there can never be a union between the prince of light and the prince of darkness. There can be no union between their followers. When Christians consented to unite with those who were half-converted from paganism, well, they started down a very slippery slope that led them further and further away from the truth. Satan wallowed in the fact that he had succeeded in deceiving so many of the followers of Jesus. He then unleashed his power on these he had deceived and he inspires them to persecute those who had remained true to God. Who better to oppose the true Christian faith than those that had once been its defenders. And these now apostate Christians united with their half-pagan cohorts and directed their warfare against the most essential doctrines of Jesus Christ. It required a desperate struggle on the part of the faithful to stand firm against the deceptions that were introduced into the church. The Bible was no longer accepted as the standard of faith and the principle of religious freedom was now called heresy. After a long and severe conflict, the faithful few decided that they would separate from the apostate church if the church still refused to free herself from falsehood. They saw this separation as an absolute necessity if they were going to remain obedient to the Word of God. In an attempt to maintain peace and and keep the church unified, these Christians were ready to make any concession as long as it was consistent with the Word of God. But if unity could only be secured by the compromise of truth, Well, then let there be separation. You know, I often catch myself wondering, what would it mean for the church? What would it mean for the world? If all Christians held to this principle. You see, in my opinion, there's an alarming difference in regard to the doctrines, which are the pillars of the Christian faith. There is thinking in many Christian circles that doctrine is not something we need to spend a whole lot of time worrying about or talking about. And as a result, false theories, which the early Christians risked their lives to resist and expose, are now accepted by thousands who claim to be followers of Christ. Now listen to this quote. It comes from a study conducted by George Gallup Jr. and Michael Lindsay. It says, Christians can't defend their beliefs. They are susceptible to the new age movement. They go off in all directions, but they don't know what they believe and don't have a basis to judge their influences. It goes on to say Americans are practicing a do it yourself whatever works kind of religion. Picking and choosing among beliefs and practices of various faith traditions. It's a dangerous situation because people become prey to all sorts of false doctrines. They consider things Christian that aren't Christian. Most Americans consider the Bible to be a collection of inspired writings, but not everything in it should be taken literally. This move toward understanding the Bible as the inspired and not necessarily as the actual Word of God is one of the most dramatic shifts in religious beliefs since the 1960s. As recently as 1963, two persons in three viewed the Bible as the actual Word of God to be taken literally, word for word. Today, only one person in three still holds to that interpretation. Now that's a very sad commentary on the state of the Christian church today. Those early Christians, these were incredible people clinging to the Word of God, resisting any compromise of Bible truth, and as a result, many of those early Christians lost their lives. The fact that the righteous are allowed to suffer persecution at the hand of the wicked has been a cause of great anguish to many, even to Christians. Some are even ready to reject their confidence in God because the wicked are allowed to prosper while the righteous are being afflicted and tormented. How? How, they ask. Can a God who is just and merciful... A God who is infinite in power, how can He tolerate such injustice? I don't consider myself qualified to answer that question. But as I turn to God's Word, I see plenty of evidence of His love, and I'm instructed not to doubt His goodness because I cannot understand the workings of His providence. You see, Jesus said to his disciples, foreseeing the doubts that would come upon them in those days of trial and darkness, John chapter 15 and verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus suffered for me. He suffered for you more than we can may be made to suffer through the cruelty of men. Jesus will never forget his children. He will never neglect his children. But he sometimes does permit his children to be placed in the furnace of affliction that we may be purified through our example and convince others Of the reality of our faith. You know, in closing, there's something I've often thought about that I want to share with you. The Apostle Paul declares in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Why is it then? that I'm not being persecuted for my faith. Could it be that my Christianity has so conformed to the world that it rouses no opposition? Does our religion today possess the pure and holy character that marked the Christian faith in the days of Jesus and his apostles? Let there be a revival of the faith and power of the early church. Let that happen and the spirit of persecution will be revived and the fires of persecution will certainly be rekindled. Let us pray. Gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, Thank you for all of the blessings you give us. Thank you for your word, which is the rule of faith for every believer of Jesus Christ. Father, just strengthen us in our faith. Guide those that are searching right now that they may find in Jesus the answer to life's most perplexing questions. Bless each and every viewer, I pray, in Jesus' name. Well, we've come to that part of the program where we offer our free gift. We like to do that each and every week uh, so that uh, you have resources for your spiritual library, recognizing that the rule of faith is God's Word. But there are resources available that will deepen your understanding of God's Word and help you in that journey to understand God's truth and His will for your life. And today we have a little, it's a little booklet um, just maybe a little bit bigger than a pamphlet. It's called The Healing Power of Love. It's it's wonderfully illustrated. It's got some uh, very uh, inspiring little messages in it. And we'd love you to have this as a gift from Lessons for Living Television. It's free of charge. There's no obligation whatsoever on your part. It will come to you postage paid. You'll get it in the mail um, shortly after the airing of this program. If you'd like to request this little booklet, the healing power of His love, then pay, pay special attention to the information that you are about to hear.
1: To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living Television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living Television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box. 27030, Simcoe-Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3, and we would be happy to send the offer out to you. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe-Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you could order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at 1-800-972-0337, 1-800-972-0337. Operators are standing by now. While on our website, you can leave a prayer request, and if impressed to do so, donate to help keep this ministry on the air. Thank you for your support.
0: Well, we've come to the end of another program. Let me thank you so much for watching. And let me ask you to uh, help us get the word out so that others can begin watching the program. Let your friends and let your family, your neighbors know the program and when we're on. If you're not exactly sure when we're on in your area, maybe you just happen to click on the program and you've watched today, that's great. Go to our website, l4ltv.com, All of the information is there as to when we air, what time, what channels we're on. And uh, if you'd like to check out any of the previous programs, all of the programs that we've ever aired are accessible through the website under the tab that says Previous Programs. You can also see live appearances where I'll be appearing live. And there's a um, a section on archived sermons, different messages I've done in different places. With a lesson handout, if you like the message, and then you'd like to do a little bit more research on that, a little bit more study, there's a handout attached there that you can download and you can print, and that can help you in your Bible study because we're committed into helping you better understand God's Word. Also on the website, the L4LTV.com website, is a Donate Today tab where you can make a donation which is eligible for a charitable donation receipt for income tax purposes. And that donation goes to pay for the studio time, the air time, the gifts we send out, everything directly involved with the ministry and keeping this program on the air. Not a penny of that donation comes to pay for my salary or for my wardrobe or anything for me. It's all being utilized directly in the preaching of the gospel. Also, want to let you know you can follow me on Instagram at santos_bill. Every day I put out a one-minute devotional video, and the feedback we're getting is folks really appreciate that for their as part of their own personal devotional, but also as something they can share with friends and family. So that's on Instagram at at santos_bill. Like us on Facebook. Uh, follow me on. Twitter at Santos underscore Bill. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. This way, every time we upload a new program to the channel, you will be notified if you're a subscriber to the YouTube channel. Now, I also want to reference another website, MissionNowCanada.com. And Mission Now Canada is a branch of our ministry that does overseas humanitarian work missionnowcanada.com on the website there you can find out where we'll be going you can sign up for the newsletter if you're interested in becoming part of our next mission trip why not join us find out the information there on missionnowcanada.com well they're telling me we're all out of time i'm so glad that you joined us today let's do this again next time i'll be praying that that's what happens god bless you we'll see you back here real soon